so we are the sustainable sustainable sleepover club um so we're a podcast all about the sustainable development goals which are 17 united nation goals set out as a blueprint to develop the world to ensure that we have a better future for everyone and the goals range from you know gender equality to climate just to climate action which are separate goals in and of themselves that have their own targets that are like universal but separate to each country but at the same time they're all interlinked we can't have gender equality without climate action and those are just two goals and there's 17 in total so in our podcast we discuss all these different goals um but we also want to make sure that it's really accessible it's really easy for everyone to understand so a lot of the time when people are talking about the sustainable development goals they use a lot of really confusing words and jargon and we want to ensure that it's just like a chat between friends because we actually found that that's how we learned the most about them was just chatting to each other um and seeing what everyone else thought and their opinions as they learned about them. And that's where the sleepover element comes in, just friends chatting about the SDGs. Um, so normally our format is that I, as the host, will interview a guest and we've had about 17 different guests and they've all been really interesting and we've learned so much from all of them. Um, and then we head into the sleepover section. So that's just six of us um, and we are just chatting about like, what, what did you learn in that? from that um, guest and what's your opinion and your experiences and we also just have a bit of fun like talking about what our favorite like biscuits are <laughs> what we're doing for the weekend um so it's really nice and then I, we, for each episode we also pick one goal one of the 17 goals to focus in on and we give a couple of statistics and there's also some supports at the end um so yeah that's our normal format but tonight is extra special and rather than being pre-recorded and then we release it every second week a new episode on a Thursday tonight is a live podcast as you can see so we're all here together and <laughs> um, we're all here together and you're seeing it literally as I'm talking to you um, and it's also not just a podcast where you're listening to it it's also a video recording at the moment um, so it's really really exciting and on top of that our guest is the Irish ambassador to the UN, Geraldine Bryant Nason. So it's really, really exciting. Um, and that interview we're gonna be showing in a few minutes. So we also have an amazing guest. And on top of that, if you weren't already super duper <laughs> excited like all of us, our, the UN youth delegates are also here with us tonight who you'll hear from in just a few minutes. Um, so we're gonna all introduce ourselves now. We're gonna do a little go around the room. Um, so can everyone say your name, your pronouns, your age, where you're from, and for a fun sleepover little question, what's your favorite Christmas movie? Okay, Gabby, can you start? Okay, hi everyone, <laughs> um, I'm Gabby. I'm so sorry, my microphone's like on the way out, so if it dies, that isn't on me. Um, <laughs> I'm 18 uh, and I use she, her pronouns. Uh, and this is really embarrassing, but I don't have a favorite Christmas movie. Um, I like watch whatever's on the telly. Do you know what I mean? Like Your tea guide. Comes, it's normally <laughs> Harry she's Potter, telly girl. one to seven. So I mean, you know, she she's loyal to RTE. Um, so like, I guess I guess that's my favorite Christmas movie. You know, I know Christmas is starting when like the Philosopher's Stone comes on. I'm yeah. like, yeah, Christmas yeah, has been gone. True. <laughs> Hi, I'm Aishi. I'm 16. I use she/her pronouns. And my favorite movie. I'm gonna stick to the classics here and go with The Grinch. It's, mm. it's amazing you can't deny it um my name is carol i'm 17 and i'm from cork and um, my favorite movie is the holiday i love the holiday 
I love apologize. <laughs> Hi, I'm Amy. I use she her pronouns. I'm from Mitch's town. I'm 16 and my favorite Christmas movie probably Christmas Carol. I think it just makes me feel like really like joyful and happy and good and stuff. Um and it's very very Christmassy. So around like Christmas Eve time, that's my favorite Christmas movie. Or um Trasa, do you want to tell us your favorite Christmas movie? Yeah, so hi, I'm Trasa. Um, I'm, I use she, her pronouns. I'm from Cape Clear Island in West Cork. And my favourite Christmas movie is probably Home Alone. It's a classic. It's so funny. That one is probably one that I watch every single year. <laughs> That's so good. Um, my name's Eve. I'm 18. I'm from Cork. And my favorite Christmas movie isn't technically a Christmas movie, but it's um, 101 Dalmatians. I watch it every year, wrapping presents. And it's like my dogs and me in the front room with the fire going. And it's the best. I love it. I love that. You all have like little stories with yours. I have to Google <laughs> Christmas movies because I couldn't think of any. So my name is Deandra. I am 24. I'm from Cork. And my favorite Christmas movie is The Polar Express. I have no particular reason why. That's the only one that I remember from the list of 65 movies that I looked at before this began. <laughs> Thank you so much. So now you've got a little taste of everyone. Um, so that is the Sustainable Steep Rubber Club and you'll be back to us later. Um, but we're going to now look to the interview with Ambassador Geraldine Brian Nason, who is the representative of Ireland to the United Nations. She is a career diplomat who has served in Brussels, New York, Paris, Vienna and Helsinki during her career. From 2011 to 2014, she was the highest ranking female public servant in Ireland. She also headed Ireland's National Forum on Europe and more recently was SG responsible for EU affairs. From 2014 to 2017, she served as the ambassador to France and Monaco. In 2013, she was named in the Irish media, one of Ireland's most powerful women. In 2014, she was elected a member of the Royal Irish Academy, Ireland's highest academic honour. She holds an honorary doctorate of law from Maynooth University, as well as master's and bachelor's degrees in literature from St. Patrick's College in Maynooth. And we are so delighted that we got to speak to her and we hope you enjoy our interview. Hello, Ambassador Bernison, how are you? Hello, this is Geraldine. Good morning from New York. You can see the sun coming in. It's in front of me, shining at me. So it's a lovely sunny morning. Good to see the three of you. Absolutely. You definitely have a better day than us here anyway. The rain started bucketing down a few minutes ago. So <laughs> enjoy the sunshine while it lasts. Will do. Ambassador, Will do. my name is D'Angeli Bukla. I'm one of Ireland's UN youth delegates this year. And I'm just here today to introduce our two youth activists as part of YMCA's Sustainable Sleepover Club. We have Anna and Amy. Hello. Hi. How, hi. Hello to all of you. Yeah, I, Deandra, congratulations on being one of our youth delegates. Yourself and Trasa, I gather. <laughs> So, Absolutely, thank um, and you. And lovely to meet Anna and Amy. Hello, you too. Thank you. Brilliant. So, I'll pass you over to our two girls now. Thank you. Hi, Ambassador. So, our first question is What is the significance of Ireland gaining a seat on the Security Council, and what does it mean to us and to our global community? Well, thank you. Well, I think there's a huge significance to Ireland uh, being on the Security Council for just the, the fourth time in our history. And certainly it's a once in a generation opportunity for Ireland as a country, the Irish government to step up onto the big global stage to that iconic table where issues of nothing less than international peace and security 
are discussed. I think the significance to you, your generation, I like to think to the Irish public in general, is that it get, gives Ireland an opportunity to help shape what matters on the ground, particularly to people in fragile areas. You know, we have peacekeepers right across the globe. Ireland is one of the most respected peacekeepers, one of the longest standing peacekeepers uh, as a country at the UN. And all of the peacekeeping mandates are designed and agreed at the table. So we're not just looking out for the people on the ground, say in Lebanon, uh, a very well-known UNIFIL uh, peacekeeping force, where we look at that mandate and design it, but we're also looking out for the safety of Irish women and men who go into those fragile contexts. We're also looking after the, the if you like, the, the human dignity of people on the ground, whether that's in a country like Syria or Ethiopia or Yemen, we can come back to talk about those. So a chance for us at the table to make a difference in a positive, constructive way. Wow, that's really fascinating, Ambassador. And you also touched on how Ireland had a has a role in keeping the human dignity of places like that. And Ireland's also been described as um, the conscience of the Security Council before. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about that. Yes, I like to think that's a badge of honour that Ireland will be described as the conscience member at the table. We're an independent member of the Security Council. Um, Minister Simon Coveney often said when we were campaigning, you know, we had to be elected to this seat, that we were beholden to no one. And I think it's important that Ireland is seen to act in that independent way. We look out for particularly, I'll take two examples, the humanitarian interests of people in dire situations. The two examples I'll take where we've taken a really leading role at the table have been in relation to Syria, where, as you know, there's a chronic ongoing conflict now a de- over a decade long, millions of people in need of food, in need of medical supplies. And Ireland took on the responsibility shared with Norway to negotiate an open crossing where we can get those food and medical supplies through to millions of people, up to 4 million people in one part of Syria, behind the Turkish-Syria borderline. So what we do there is really critical to the, the human dignity of every woman, man and child on the ground in that part of Syria. And the second example, I think, where our role in relation to protecting human safety and dignity is in relation to the desperate situation emerging now in Ethiopia. Since we came onto the Security Council, we were aware that in Tigray, in northern Ethiopia, there was a, a conflictual situation developing that has now developed into an effective blockade on any supplies getting into a huge part of uh, Ethiopia uh, where people are now in famine-like conditions. The conflict has spread, unfortunately, since we began to shine a light on it. We continue to argue every day, of course, for a ceasefire. We want to see the tensions and the conflict end, but absolutely we speak out every day for humanitarian access, letting aeroplanes, letting trucks in, with life-saving food and medical supplies. So they're two examples of the type of action we take that I think rises above the geopolitical debates that go on. We're not a power player. We don't assume a role in some of the more toxic uh, situations on the council where they're very polarized situations. 
we go in and focus on the human interest. And the last point I'll make as I speak to it, we're three, two women on online today, is the, the role of women and the situation of women in Afghanistan. Another issue of fundamental human dignity, where I argue every time I speak to this at the council, that women's rights are human rights and that the Taliban will be measured by their actions importantly in relation to women. So there are a few examples. Thank you so much for those examples. Um, and also peace, justice and strong institutions are actually uh, one of the global goals. So I was wondering um, what role do the Sustainable Development Goals or the SDGs have um, to do with the Security Council? Well, you know, the SDGs are all encompassing. Uh, so you, you marked out peace and stability in particular. Of course, that goes to the heart of everything that we do at the Security Council. But I like to think of the SDGs as that wider compass that addresses issues from climate. And I can say to you particularly on climate that literally as we speak today, tomorrow and early next week, Ireland is bringing hopefully to a successful conclusion a negotiation on climate and security. We see that as properly the business of the Security Council. The wider climate agenda and climate change, of course, dealt with in Paris more recently in Glasgow. That debate goes on in other parts of the UN. We want to look at how climate and the challenges of drought, uh, the challenges of displacement of people are actually root causes of conflict. So there's one example of how we're working on that. But the bigger issues in the um, uh, in the SDGs, for example, around gender and gender equality, come through in the work Ireland does on the Security Council on women, peace and security. In addition to leading work on climate, we are leading the work of the Council alongside Mexico on women, peace and security. And there we come back to that issue I mentioned in relation to Afghanistan, where we want to see in any effort to bring peace uh, to a fragile situation, whether that's Myanmar, Yemen, Syria or Mali, where I recently visited, half of the population is female. That SDG for gender inequality speaks to the role of women in sustainable peace and in stabilising their communities at a grassroots level. And when Ireland took the presidency of the Security Council for the month of September, when the Taoiseach Michal Martin and Foreign Minister Simon Coveney both came and chaired meetings, we spoke very clearly to this, what we call the golden thread of the role of women in building peace and security. So there are a few examples very grounded in that extraordinary agreement on the SDGs. And as you know, Ireland, my predecessor here, David Dunhue, key architects and negotiators of the SDGs. I'll finish on that point by saying, um, uh, sadly, uh, the COVID pand pandemic has put us even more off track in terms of attaining all of those goals uh, by 2030. But we're still working here every day, including what we do on the Security Council, to try and get rid of the inequalities and to bring a degree of stability to the environment. We're not successful globally every day but I think every single day we make a small difference. Thank you for that especially we're touching on some of the current work that Ireland is doing on the Security Council which is of great importance so I'm wondering now um, how do you see Ireland's lasting impact on the Security Council when our term is up we're doing all this work now and how do you hope that we impact the work of the UN going forward through our term on the Security Council? 
That's a very good question because, of course, our term is very short. It's only two years. And it's been 20 years already since Ireland was on the council. So it will be another generation. Maybe the two of you will be sitting in my office uh, when we're next on the Security Council. That's eminently possible. So I think the important thing is that we leave a legacy that speaks to what we, we set out to do, which was to be uh, a partner, to be independent and to be empathetic to stand up for our values and principles. I think if we leave the Security Council and people look back and say that, what, as Simon Copley often says, what you see is what you get. We were true to that commitment to human dignity. We were not buffeted by wider geopolitical debates, but we stood up on an issue like Ethiopia, for example, for our values and principles, for human rights and the international law uh, that frames everything. If a small country like Ireland doesn't stand up for individuals' rights at a uh, basic level in their own countries, but also insist that a body like the UN respects international law, so respects the norms in terms of engagement, whether that's in conflict or in peace. In Myanmar, where we're seeing protests on the street, members of the government, the elected government, now um, have not been seen for several months since there was a coup there. In Mali, similarly, that we speak out and say that we need to see democratic rights established. And we do that without fear or favour. After our term, if people look back and remember that we sat there, that we spoke out independently, but above all, that the history of Ireland, which is one that reflects so many of the problems we deal with at the council, we're a country that's known emigration, and we know what it is to be an immigrant. We're a country that has absolutely seen starvation in our history. We have seen the pressures of conflict in, on our tiny island ourselves. So we have an empathetic approach to these things. So we are capable in bringing those principal positions to empathize with the countries and to walk with them along the path to what we hope is sustainable peace. I hope that's what we'll be remembered for. And above all, that we saved some lives. Thank you. Um, and th that was a brilliant answer. And I was just wondering, you talk, touched there on sustainable peace a couple of times. Um, and you also talked about a ceasefire. So do you feel that there's a difference between a ceasefire and sustainable peace? And could you maybe talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. Uh, a, a really key uh, issue. Um, so you sound like you're a real student of international science and policy because... Um, a ceasefire hard won, and we're seeing, for example, two areas at the moment where it's really hard won. Well, three, I'll mention Syria, of course, we want to see a ceasefire, 10 years trying for that. Yemen, again, one of the dire humanitarian situations now. Uh, just this week, we discussed the prospects for a ceasefire there with several of the actors. But very alive is the call today, literally these hours, for a ceasefire in Ethiopia. If we bring a ceasefire into any one of those contexts, of course, that will be a landmark achievement, but it is not the solution for the uh, communities on the ground who are, in many cases, I mentioned already in Ethiopia, famine. So before you move beyond ceasefire uh, to any form of peace, you have to ensure pe people's basic human rights are restored and that there's a perspective that communities can see their way to what we like to call peace building. So we see a transition between a ceasefire, 
keeping that peace, potentially situations where we've seen peacekeeping forces brought in and uh, there are um, over 100,000 peacekeepers of the UN right across the globe today keeping the peace. But even that is not the ultimate objective, which is peace building for long lasting, sustainable peace. That's not a moment in time. It's not the moment that the agreement on a ceasefire is signed. It's building back a community, giving people their dignity, investing, giving people their resources. And some of this, although you're both very young in this discussion, some of this applied very much to Ireland 25 years ago before we came to the Good Friday Agreement moment. And then we're in a position day by day to work at that luckily now sustainable peace in Ireland. We say that to countries we're dealing with. Peace is a process. It's not a moment. So moving from that that welcome moment, but not sufficient, through to, again, restoring a community like we're seeing in a country like Colombia, for example, these days, where, again, a peace agreement is being rolled out over time. Five years later, they're still working at this. So there are lots of examples of where it takes work, investment, and above all, faith that sustainable peace is attainable as long as communities can be engaged in it. Thank you. So we're only shortly into our, at the end of our first year on the Security Council, but we've achieved so much already, I suppose. What do you think are some of Ireland's biggest successes on the Security Council this year so far? Well, yes, it's been a busy year, I must admit. And of course, um, if I were to be very flippant, I'd say the big success is that we survived our first year. <laughs> it was a huge challenge for I have a wonderful team of colleagues here, young diplomats uh, in New York and it's a it's a big lift. It's a big it's somebody said it's like extreme sport for diplomats. And I can uh, testify to that. So I think in the first year, uh, you, we would also want to point to the month of September where we were at the helm, where we were, in fact, managing the day to day business of the Security Council in a big month where we had all of the um, international heads of state and government visiting New York. It's the UN month in September. We also delivered on uh, going back to the question there about peacekeeping or peace making and peace building. We delivered an important resolution that month, which I think will be a legacy issue for Ireland in our first year. And that was on transitions. So literally that pinch point between a peacekeeping force having done its job and settled, broadly speaking, a calm in the area. When the peacekeeping force moves off, how do you protect civilians on the ground? As the peace building phase begins, we've seen good and not so good examples of that in the UN. Liberia is always mentioned as a good example. Um, other situations, Sudan, for example, which has been challenged. So we, you know, there are uh, there are examples of transitions that need further reflection and further work. And Ireland brought the first ever resolution on that in September, a landmark issue. The Taoiseach also shared a discussion on climate and security, and that paved the way. That was a really high-level, um, politically important debate, and that paved the way for the work we're doing now. And I'd like to think in a few weeks I can add a resolution on climate and security, first ever at the Security Council. The other uh, issue I'd like to highlight um, in terms of, I think, a consistency over our first year has been that uh, focus on human dignity that we have, whether it's in relation to the Syria humanitarian resolution, the work we're doing on Ethiopia, 
the work we do in relation to the Middle East, so much a, a trademark issue for Ireland, for Ireland's position uh, in support of the Palestinian people is now extremely well known. Uh, during that Gaza crisis earlier in the year, Minister Simon Coveney took a lead role in his uh, positioning both in the council and behind the scenes. Last thing that I haven't mentioned, but I think is significant for our work on the in the first year, doesn't get so much publicity, but Ireland facilitates the Security Council's work on the Iran nuclear deal. And we're coming up now to a big important moment uh, in relation to uh, the US and Iran with European partners coming back to what's called the JCPOA, the nuclear deal with Iran, being put back on the rails. That's one of the biggest diplomatic achievements, I think, in, in a decade. It went off the rails when the Trump administration decided to leave uh, that agreement. We regretted that. We're working with all partners at the Security Council to support the work that goes into getting that deal back on track. And I know that the minister and indeed all members of government are also working to support that. So there are a few of the issues um, that I think markers out. And I'd be really remiss if I didn't finish my answer by saying to you, every single debate we have at the Security Council, I find a way to ask, where are the women? Um, because either we're discussing a situation like Libya, we'll discuss today when I leave you, I go to the Security Council to look at, again, a country not that far from Ireland, actually, where the uh, the conflict of the last decade, hopefully now we'll see a brighter phase with elections on Christmas Eve this year. We want to make sure women are involved as candidates. We want to see women at the table as members of the new government. So it's like that golden thread I mentioned. And I think if you were to come into the Security Council and ask anyone, what do you know about Ireland in the fair what I've just said to you would be pretty fair reflection of what they've seen of us. Thank you so much. Um, and I think that's a perfect way to end. As you were saying, we're three women in the room and you just acknowledge that again. Um, and thank you so much, Ambassador, for your time. We've learned so much. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure and best wishes to all of you with your work, work and your podcast. I'll become, I'll, I'll subscribe now and keep listening. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. Um, that was an incredible interview. Um, I certainly learned so much from it and I can't wait to hear what everyone else thought. Um, but also, if you had any thoughts and any questions for us, you can submit them in the Q&A box and you will be asked later. Um, so yeah, you can like submit that anytime throughout. If anything comes up that you want to ask, just pop it in the Q&A box. Okay, so what did you, what particularly stood out for you from that video? I, for one, I absolutely loved what she had to say about the difference between a ceasefire and sustainable peace. Yeah. And it's something that's come up in a previous episode that we did with Andy about, you know, what does peace actually mean to you? And the idea that peace is more than people not fighting, you know, that um, there's more to peace. So I just think you can't emphasize that enough. You know, mm -hmm. what you said about building back communities and things like that, mm -hmm. you know, peace, sustaining peace, I thought was, you know yeah definitely yeah, i agree i mean like the way she talked about like long lasting stainless peace and like the investing in the community and making sure the community have like the path 
forward to build peace because it's not okay to like say oh ceasefire like everyone's peace now like peace isn't just like not fighting peace is like having security in all aspects of your life you know what I mean like and you put it like peace is an intensely political affair you know what I mean it's mm-hmm. not just like ending fighting it's like making sure that every single person has like a set up secure future and path ahead of them like that's so important yeah and I I think when we look at like like different conflicts around the world and we're you know especially when we're talking about the SDGs and stuff and we're constantly talking about like all this fighting these wars in other countries we also need to remember like our Irish identity in that and like she brought up the examples and so did you Gabby there with the fact that like you know the Good Friday Agreement and stuff like that like and in our history there is famine mm-hmm. there is conflict there is you know so much um like yeah like violence that we need to like not forget that that's part of our Irish identity when we're talking about these like conversations and like um like even what she was saying there as the ambassador um about when we're talking about ceasefire and we're talking about peace in other countries that we also have like our own Irish identity to bring into that as well I was like I was literally gonna say exactly the same thing the way she (laughs) talked about like you know Ireland's history it's like you know we've had pressures from violence and starvation and that kind of thing and I really like I think that brings a huge perspective to the UN Security Council on Ireland's behalf because we've been through not the exact same but different iterations of similar things that are happening in many countries that are in conflict so I think that's what makes kind of her role is so important as well. Yeah, I like I said, perspective. Like, I think history is so important. I think everyone should be studying history and like learning about it because it does give you a perspective on like situations that you wouldn't think of. Like she really, really put the emphasis on empathy, which is what we talk about all the time in the podcast. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And like having that knowledge of our history and our, our culture and in Ireland like does give us an empathy, you know, an empathy. Like it gives us almost a sense of responsibility to make sure that no one else goes through like that, like brutal past that Ireland has had, like mm-hmm. even with emigration and immigration, like, do you know what I mean? Like how many, like how spread out across is Ireland across the world and then celebrated for that. And yet we shun immigrants. Like that doesn't make sense. You know what I mean? Like that knowledge of history should provide mm-hmm. empathy and perspective, like you said, in especially with the, the Security Council. Yeah. And also like recently there was a quote that I saw the other day and I thought it was so good because um with like the migrant crisis at the moment someone said we don't have a migrant crisis we have a crisis of a lack of empathy mm. I think it's so so true when we talk about like the borders especially around Europe um that we're excluding people but not only that we're we're actively not welcoming people and that is a crisis of empathy it's not migrants who are the crisis or mm. anything like that um And I think like she really emphasized human dignity. And I think we have to remind ourselves over and over again, and we shouldn't have to, but that humanity and human dignity and safety should not be luxuries. They should not be things that you have to live without. They should not be things that we even have to advocate or fight for, but we have to because other people do not have them. Um, And they shouldn't be a luxury. They should be assumed for everyone. Yeah, definitely. I think it's like nearly, I suppose, remembering like how lucky we are in Ireland to live in a state yeah. of peace. You know, I mean, even like something that comes to my mind is recently, I think it was on the news last night, but um, the all the immigrants who drowned, I think yeah. there was 20 something of them, you know, um, in the English Channel, you know, desperately trying to, you know, trying to reach a place of safety and security and that people were willing, were willing to put their lives at risk in order to get there, you know, something that we take for granted kind of on the daily, you know, um, 
but like how fundamental a human right that is yeah. you know mm-hmm. and the fact that it's being denied to people and it's being kind of like swept under the rug is just horrifying yeah completely and we talk about this uh, as well a lot that like politics and like what she was saying about diplomacy is so full a lot of the time with um like jargon and terminology that not everyone can engage in especially young people it's very exclusionary of young people um but also like when you think of all the like systemic racism and injustice stacked up against people who maybe can't get an education things like politics where decisions that impact people especially those most marginalized can't actually be involved in the conversation Mm -hmm. it's it's shocking and it's appalling and I think we talk about this a lot where people are like you know especially with women people complain about women being too emotional and being too empathetic and we said like that's what we need more of in politics and it's a huge problem that it's not at the moment yeah I think that's the root cause of politics is like it's so like self-serving and it's lacks empathy like emotion is not a weakness emotions a power because emotion drives action you know what I mean like if we have people who are genuinely caring about the like country and the people they're they're like advocating for like that's like what's important that's what creates change not like political plans or political games like it's emotion and empathy 100 percent. yeah yeah like i think realistically making decisions about people without involving people in the conversation when has that ever gone well you know like (laughs) let's be real here you know i mean but like that is so true and it even brings in like an earlier point about peace you know amy was speaking about women you know and the idea of peace in a country well like if women are under oppression is a country at peace no it's not do you know what i mean you know, like <clears throat> the ambassador said, like, you know, that women's rights are human's rights. And it's so true, you know, and I think perhaps it's something that's that's maybe overlooked because it's easy to overlook, you know, but if you look at the state of like women's rights in Afghanistan, I mean, you know, countries have pulled out of Afghanistan and they've pulled humanitarian aid from Afghanistan, but like women are still suffering in Afghanistan, mm-hmm. you know, um, like their lives are still under threat, you know, and they, they can't leave, you know, I think perhaps like, it's easy to forget about people when it's not in the news and we don't see it every day you know but there's that like state of humanity that well like what if that was us what if that was Ireland you know and the entire world just did not you know was not taking any notice you know Mm -hmm. I mean it's just yeah it's really saddening you know and it's really frustrating yeah I I think something as well like Carol often brings up is like we often see statistics And we don't Mm. see like the human lives behind those statistics. Do you know what I mean? And like you were saying, Gabby, like we have to see them as people as well, like not just like numbers or statistics. And like there are so many amazing people who do this. Like I was watching a documentary the other day about a photographer, a fashion photographer. I think her name is, uh, I'm going to butcher this, but it's like Fatima Hosseini or something. And she photographs women in Afghanistan in their traditional makeup and fashion sense. And it gives such an insight into like, the importance of like reclaiming your own self of identity as well because like to have those photographs she had to get permission from parents brothers like anyone in her family to take pictures of women in their traditional like yeah. clothing and makeup and so that's self like it's so identity and like it does connect with like I mean I was watching I was crying like do you know what I mean yeah. it connects so we have to like keep that remembrance of like people aren't statistics and statistics like should serve us to like help not like let us like oh well only this many people happened or yeah. it was it was happened somewhere far away like mm. they should be helping us like 
to be more caring yeah and i think as well like i really like what she said about how the sdgs the sustainable development goals are all encompassing and i I think they encompass like all of this conversation but also like she was talking about like climate change and like so often we talk about climate change and numbers and you know all these things and a lot of the time we're talking about the future as well which really we are talking about the future for many of us in the room today but like you know for a lot of people it's happening right now and as you were saying it's not just about the numbers or who is being affected it's about like the single lives who are experiencing climate change right now and it's indigenous people who are actually protecting all of our lives it's who are protecting our futures who are protecting biodiversity it's you know people in the global south mapa countries people most affected by climate change and i think we have to remember that and i think like that's what i liked about what she's saying about how they're all encompassing because if you look at like the uk government they invested 14 billion dollars since the paris agreement of taxpayers money into the oil and gas industry and again we're talking about how they're not like including women and people most affected and that directly impacts um is causing climate change and is impacting these people and we have to connect how that goes against when the uk government is part of these discussions around like i mean in the un around like peace because how can you have climate change affecting people like that is causing refugees having to leave it's causing conflict and I think it's really important with the SDGs to link everything together. Yeah. Like she yeah. even said, like drought mm. causes displacement, which causes conflict. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's really the root of everything. Exactly. Yeah. No, I think definitely like, you know, it's interesting what the ambassador said about like climate change and how it relates to conflict isn't something I'd even thought about before. But like, I think again, like SDG one, I bring this up all the time about poverty, yeah. you know, has such a direct link to all of this you know even amy was saying about um you know the money invested into let's say like the coal and oil industry you know and like you see the thing is like i think in the western world like it's easy to make decisions like this and not really acknowledge how they how they impact the rest of the world you know how they impact the countries that oil is being taken from how they impact countries that are most affected by climate change you know but i think it's nearly this horrible cycle of poverty because also in the western world like in the uk in ireland you know in oh dear um, <laughs> that's my bottle that just fell for anyone who couldn't see it um you know in america in all the countries there are you know, thousands, there's millions of people living on the breadline, mm. you know, um, even in countries that are considered developed, you know, and why should they care nearly in their mindset? Because they're just trying to survive. You're going yeah. to do what's cheapest, the, what's best for your family. You know, it's very difficult to care about issues like climate justice. It's very difficult to care about people yeah. on the other side of the world that you can see when you yourself are struggling to survive, you know? Yeah. And I was just going to ask as well, um, because I think with the UN, you know, it's this like really big, like, you know, body um, and it's kind of such a collective. Um, But I was going to like ask the UN youth delegates a bit about like, how do you feel as kind of an individual taking action, but also as being like part of a collective with the UN and also like, you know, Irish identity and how that relates to the global identity or just any thoughts (laughs) around the interview or anything like that yeah go ahead <laughs> Trasa do you want to go first <laughs> <laughs> no pressure Trasa <laughs> that was a lot of questions <laughs> um, say anything I mean, like, from the like, first thing that came into my head was we're so lucky in Ireland 
how supportive we are that we actually have UN youth delegates. Not every country has delegates. Um, like I, I don't know exactly, Deandra, you might know the number of them, but we're in the minority <laughs> of countries that have UN youth delegates and we are given quite a lot of power. So the mission and the Department of Foreign Affairs are very empowering. So they let us, which I know has been like a uh, process having spoken to previous youth delegates. So we were allowed to take part in the youth resolution and give our views um, as young people in Ireland. And they also let us speak at the third committee, which was amazing. I spoke at the right to food um, in the third committee. And I was the only young person in the whole, it was like two hours, I think. And there was oh, tens of, I think there was over 50 people speaking. I was the only young person and Ireland let me speak, which I think is very admirable, admirable that we in Ireland are quite supportive of youth. And in my opinion, <laughs> from my experience working at like in the UN youth delegate process, they are. Um, and also it was a brilliant interview. I again picked up on the, um, with the mission, with the um, ceasefire and the difference between ceasefire and sustainable peace. I've never heard the term sustainable peace, but it's quite important um when you think about it because ireland or the troubles like that's probably considered sustainable peace so it's within our or within our parents generation that we all remember it um or can hear the stories so it's still very real in ireland that whole peace and sustainable peace yeah yeah i think we have been really lucky so far we i mean the very first meeting we had was with youth delegates from other countries i don't know the exact number i think it's something like 20 seven don't quote me on it um, <laughs> but it was basically with youth delegates from other countries and we i mean we had gotten like an introduction to some of the offices and the people that we were going to be working with and we had no idea when we went in the, into this meeting what it was going to be about they were basically all giving out about the program and <laughs> everything that was wrong with it and i remember texting valerie from nyci she's like the manager over the program and I was like, um, there seems to be quite a bit of difficulty. Like, what's the story with this? Not like wanting any goss or anything, but you know, like help us out here. <laughs> because we were literally sitting there and they were like, have you experienced any of this? We were like, we started like two weeks ago. We know nothing. Um, but yeah, I think one of the main things with me, like it is so expansive and everything that we've been doing, I have, I've had to like look it up. Like I, there's so much going on and like every time that I hear the ambassador speak and I hear other diplomats and people in the delegation speak I'm always going away with like stuff to look up afterwards and so I'm like researching stuff beforehand and researching stuff afterwards so like it's definitely been a really steep learning curve um yeah we we've had amazing opportunities so far but I think I kind of feel an onus on myself anyway I don't know if you feel the same Trasa, but it's kind of like, yes, we got these amazing opportunities and we got to speak to the special rapporteurs. Trassa did the right to food. I did the right to education for migrants. And getting that seat at the table, the virtual table, it's kind of like an onus on you to see who's not in the room. Like I know Geraldine was saying, oh, we called her Geraldine. There we go. Geraldine was <laughs> there, you know, she's constantly asking, where are the women? And I think there's the onus on us then to kind of say, okay, I know this youth delegate, why isn't she here? I know this youth delegate, why isn't he here? And it actually happens quite a bit, this group chat with all of us. 
Um, and there's people joining meetings and they're not in the group chat and they're missing out on things because we all put stuff in and we're like, oh, is anybody coming to this meeting today? And people will put it in and some of them have no idea what's going on. You know, they're given very limited scope. So I think even when we do get a seat at the table, we're so lucky to have it. But we also need to bring on the countries that don't have a youth delegate program to bring them into the conversation because they are generally majority from the global south, unfortunately. And um, yeah, it's I mean, yes, it's great that the youth delegate program is there and that Ireland is so encouraging and receptive to youth participation and meaningful youth participation. But, you know, for the countries that don't have anything yet, we need to speak up for them and the countries who just, I mean, their their program just isn't working, quite frankly. So we need to speak up for them too, along with our own youth. Yeah, I definitely think as well with like, especially young people's voices, like you were saying, but like, as you said, any kind of minority, like right to speech, that it's not just that like you have the right to say something that you're actually supported in what you're saying you're supported Mm. like I would definitely say like two years ago probably a year ago I couldn't have sat up here and like talked um (laughs) about the sustainable development goals but like I would say like you you kind of like jump into it but there's a net under you and there's that support and that you're learning like as that's the whole idea behind the podcast that you're learning through conversation and that you are su- supported by people like the YMCA, like people like Corla and all these different organizations. And that, you know, you're not just, you know, thrown out and you're allowed to technically speak because I wouldn't even know that I want, I cared about things <laughs> a few years ago. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not just that you can speak and you don't know where to, like, you need to be supported as well. And I think yeah. that's kind of for the, UN Youth Delegate Program um, but also just for when we say that people have a seat at the table that everyone is like equitably at the table. I think like Amy was saying like it's the right to speak but also the right to be listened to and to be acknowledged. I mean you know Eve is a big fan (laughs) of active listening but active listening girl you know. (laughs) Every time. Yeah I I always I always say I say don't listen to understand Oh no, sorry. Wait, no. <laughs> <laughs> don't understand. Don't just listen to <laughs> Yeah, okay, this is embarrassing. No, I always say, um, don't just listen to respond, listen to understand. Because I think when someone approaches you with something and you immediately have a comeback or a response, you're not really listening to what they're saying, are you? You're trying to think in your own head, what am I going to respond to this? You know what I mean? And this isn't just like an argument sense. This is for everything. Like you have to really be listening to the other person and try to understand their perspective before you jump with your own like conclusions because you can't like we can't walk in everyone's shoes do you know what I mean like you have to listen to understand you can't experience everyone's perspective like same way and like I think Amy is always a testament to every conversation she always brings up how important it is to have equitable I can't even say it um but everyone at the table specifically like map of countries and things like that you like she always talks about like how everyone has to have that seat and everyone should be supported as well like you were saying yeah definitely and I think that's where like I think like collectively everyone needs to be included but also like as Eve was saying at an individual level like I do think one of the most meaningful actions you can take is listening and actively listening and like bringing that perspective with you not just and that's what I really like about being having the chance to be part of this podcast is you don't just like 
interview a guest and then walk away you get to like <laughs> talk through it and be like actually what did I learn like yeah. what what you know you get to hear like, Eve talk about red squirrel no but it's true I'm going to deflect that comment it's so true because I think we always talk about it. like <laughs> we started this podcast because we loved talking to each other so much clearly we all constantly talking but like when we joined like it's embarrassing how little I knew about like anything like seriously anything like I was 16 when I joined Corla and then we started the podcast like a year later I guess and like since then just by talking to people I have like become a whole new person I've learned so much like just from the people in this room and obviously the guests are amazing but just each other like our own experiences are like I found out that like you guys call it like town the city like that's just (laughs) weird like what no sorry (laughs) (laughs) but I never I never got the rule perspective before before Gabby came along you know what I mean like I never knew about dumping until Gabby came along with her rants you know what I mean like that kind of thing like we all learn from each other yeah. all the time yeah I think definitely like I know you were saying about having to like look things up like in the <laughs> meetings but like definitely I know myself in these podcasts Amy be mid-interview I'd be like Paris climate agreement oh we do you can hear the clicking yeah. of my keyboard when I'm rapidly searching <laughs> and then by the time I actually search it it's gone it's I think it's that will- the willingness to learn though guys like that's amazing the fact that you're even doing this podcast and Jeepers you've had amazing people come on and speak to you um so fair play but it's that willingness to learn like you're not supposed to know everything like yeah. you are so young even though jeepers i i was nearly getting emotional and i know we've already <laughs> spoken about emotion but i'm going back to it um yeah i was nearly getting emotional here honestly because i know that the ambassador spoke about it as well you know they're really focusing on human dignity and not the actual politics of the whole um security council so i think the future is definitely in safe hands because I can see you getting emotional about it and that's making me emotional and I'm going to stop talking about being emotional because I'm actually going to cry. But I'll yeah, have fair play. a cry. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, on the way in here, I shot my sister's boyfriend. No, let's go back said, to um, squirrels because oh. you, you, you brought squirrels no, up within no, no, no. 15 minutes can't of meeting this one. So. The future of red squirrels <laughs> I was coming so in on the way to town and my sister's boyfriend said, he said, um, change without caring isn't change and I said did you learn that off he said yeah I did I was like, but it's so true I mean like we we do care and I think that's the yeah. fundamental and if you really want to know about squirrels guys it was only because we were talking about interdependence and how the goals are all interlinked and how they're all together and I used a really clever analogy it was a great analogy it was yeah it was a red, red and gray squirrels yeah. in Ireland because the red squirrels are natives the gray squirrels were introduced and and they and then because of deforestation the gray squirrels predators were killed off so therefore the gray squirrels became more they, I know the nothing red, about they, squirrels. they started wow. killing all the red squirrels because they were competing for their food so now we have a loss of native predators and a loss of native red squirrels because deforestation killed off the gray squirrels yeah. predators the pine martens so you know what back to ecology and interdependence <laughs> the goals are so interlinked the thing I love about this though is that if you Google the sustainable development goals, <laughs> you could probably go through about 300 Google pages. Not once would you see something about red squirrels. <laughs> it has featured in two episodes of this podcast now. I think as well though, like what you're saying about caring, I really liked because I'm um, like, I know like 
Mitzi, Mitzi Janelle Tan, she's from the Philippines and she's a climate justice activist. Um, and like, she, we inter- we were lucky enough to interview her for one of our um, podcast episodes, but also like I know her quite well, thankfully. Um, <laughs> but she talks about revolutionary love a lot and about how, you know, there's so many like campaigns and so much kind of like activism around hate you know about you know if it is against migrant rights or things like that or against climate change but like she always talks about how we will win because we're doing it because we love like because of love and that's like love for the planet and love for nature and humanity but also for like all the activists around us and for the people that we're learning this together with and I think that's just such a good way to look at it um and that like that's why our emotions and empathy do need to be part of these conversations. And I think while we're at it, we need to talk about bins. We do need to talk about bins. Amy, we need to have a chat about bins and why there's no bins in towns uh, and why they need to put more bins into towns because we have a local dumping problem in Ireland. Um, I will be pulling out my PowerPoint in about 30 seconds (laughs) and taking over the rest of this episode. As you can see, we're all passionate about something, you know, for Gabby, it's bins, for me, it's squirrels. Like, we all have passions and I think passion drives change. You know what I mean? Like, it's so true. Such normal teenage girl interests. Yeah, I know. Like, Taylor Swift, Harry Styles. um so yeah i think as well like um our like what you're saying about our individual actions i think can be listening like i would say that it's very scary to be like take action and like you know what do you care about and take action to change it but like i think there is support nets in ireland and we are really like that's amazing and there's so many places you can go to um or on your own but like i think one of the like you don't have to know everything just as long as you're willing to listen and learn throughout the process and you're like you don't have to know everything but be willing to like you know expand your knowledge at the same time and listen to other people's perspectives um and I think that kind of action at an individual level is so important but I think what helps me is that knowing that we're part of such a big collective and like I was lucky enough to be in Glasgow for COP, which was really like amazing because um, I was mostly in outside stuff. And I think for the marches and protests, like I can't describe the feeling um, more than like the action itself. It was just the feeling of being with so many people together for climate justice and for a better future for everyone. And I like it's hard to describe, but like that kind of revolutionary love and hope was there in the collective. Um, so one of the like... NYCI's kind of what the event is about is about kind of our um global identity our collective identity and I think for me it was just that feeling in the crowds um over like multiple and we were led by indigenous people as well and I think that feeling of hope and love was just it just felt like a global identity and I don't think I can put it into words but that's a gist you did beautifully it. you did her Thank captions you. on Instagram made me cry every time me nerf not curl a keel at Amy got to bring the Irish in um, do we have any questions from the audience I've got a question it's from Andy well hey and um, his question is um, how do we bring along those young people who are disillusioned by politics and who see no relevance of the SDGs to their everyday lives here in Ireland? Um, it would be interesting to hear some stories of the journey these young people went on to be where they are now. That's you guys, I'm guessing. <laughs> Andy okay. doesn't do casual questions, does no. he? <laughs> <laughs> I want to write that down. <laughs> Why do you care about the SDGs? 
that's basically you can't not asking. I mean you can't you can't yeah. not like from my perspective I mean like I can't not care like I I can't see things that are happening and not like feel emotion you know what I mean I mean that's maybe just me but like like I think that's the whole point like I can't sit there and ignore that and you know what I mean and and I don't want to go into po- I'm not looking to become Taoiseach or anything like I don't want to be into politics but I I like I think the root of any politics or anything like that is just caring and I think the only way you can begin if you don't feel like you like are disillusioned as Andy put it if you're delicious in politics the best way to start getting more like involved in like emotion and like action that through like a revolutionary love as yeah. you put it is by listening to other people I a hundred I've said that a hundred times again but it's so mm. true read books listen to people listen to podcasts like just go out and have a conversation with someone yeah. like seriously it's so important to gain people's perspectives because that's how you start caring yeah. and I think I, I'd agree with everything you just said in terms of like Andy's question but also if you don't think that like you should like you can't find a reason to care about the SDGs, you're wrong. <laughs> like, because <laughs> the SDGs connect to everything. Amy will give you one. <laughs> like they connect to your life, they connect to your like your brother's life, your sister's life, your best friend's life. They connect to someone in a different country. They connect to your favorite hobby. They connect to your favorite food. They connect to absolutely everything. And I think like it's hard to kind of research that and like what are the SDGs and like connect them but if you just chat to people then you will find those connections make those connections and I think that is like there there is always a reason to care um you just need to find your reason to care yeah yeah I think definitely like I think Amy kind of took the point I was gonna make and I said I care about (laughs) I care about the SDGs because I really really care about other people yeah you know and I suppose I kind of know now that like achieving the SDGs is one of the best ways of improving other people's lives, you know, but I do, I look at people, I kind of go, you know, no matter what situation they're in, I'm like, if I was born in a different place, um, if I didn't have the amazing amount of opportunities and privilege that I've been given in my life, that, you know, that could be me. This is the life that I could be living. You know, um, I could be undergoing that kind of, you know, that kind of suffering or that kind of, um, I can't remember the words in English. Give us some French. Oh my God. <laughs> in my mind is going extract. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I'm stuck with oppression. There we go. <laughs> oppression is the words, you know. Um, and like, yeah, definitely like Amy was saying, like the SDGs, you know, they, they're they so interlinked to like all aspects of your life, even if you don't know it. And like in terms of if you're disillusioned as a young person, I think what I'd say is that like, I don't think a single one of us here got started by joining a political party no you know like no. that's the thing do you know what I mean you know but we're here and we have this platform now you know there is so many other ways to get involved and to kind of know that look young people are the future one day someone our age will be the Taoiseach you know yeah. they will be running the country you know um that you are the now and that you're the future and that you can start building the future that you want to see now you know I know we've definitely been you know, I'm really grateful Annie, for the opportunity that I've been given within like the YMCA to do this, you know, but like that you don't have to go off and join like young Fine Gael and think that's <laughs> the only way to make any change, you know, that there's that there's other options out there. I want to hear from the, the delegates because I think like that's an interesting story. Like, how did you guys even get into that? Like, what was like the journey? <laughs> Years of hard work. And <laughs> 
Okay. <laughs> I, I don't know if Teresa wants to go because she just said to call on it. I, d- I don't want it to sound like I'm like passing everything off to Teresa, do you go on, Dandra? Before Dandra, I do. You, you give your story. Cool. So <laughs> my story started with Corla as well. I told a few of you, but I was um, chair of Corla back in 2013 and 2014 when you were all below the age of 10, I think. <laughs> yeah. um, was that you know? <laughs> so I actually know TJ from back then as well. So he came in in my second year in Corla. Well, I really started with like the student council in school. And I think going back to the point about like disillusioned young people, I think young people have so much going on in their lives. Like no matter where you're from, no matter what your hobbies are, you have so much going on and even going back to the main question of today like what does it mean being like a global youth like it's so overwhelming like and that's totally okay to you know like take a step back at some point you know like every time that Geraldine speaks I'm hearing more about all these different countries and I'm like how does she keep it all in her brain like (laughs) it's incredible but anyway that's an absolute skill so going back to the disillusionment I think you know, it's not it's not for everybody, mm. this kind of chat, the SDGs. Some people just have too much going on. They can't relate it to their lives and what they have going on. So, I mean, once you understand why you care about it, it would be great to pass it around to other people and, you know, try and get them to understand why they should care. But again, understanding that not everybody is going to, and that's totally fine. Anyway, uh, yeah, started with student council in school and then that's how, because you had to be like chair, vice chair or secretary to get onto Corla back in the dark ages and got onto Corla and then was part of YMCA as well for a little while. And then I studied government in UCC. Uh, I basically didn't know what I wanted to do and government kind of goes across politics, business, law and languages. So it was a bit of me. Um, and then I went on to study law and now I'm studying pub- public policy and diplomacy. Can't even say the name of my own course. <laughs> great. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I wanted the youth delegate program ever since it was established, to be honest. It was established when I was 18. So that's the first year that you're el- eligible to become a youth delegate. And then I left it until my last year to actually apply. But I think you just kind of have to realize with these kind of things, like, yes, there are so many opportunities, but I think you need to see yourself in the position. And if you can see yourself there and doing it, like actually visualize yourself, you have to go for it. Like no matter what you're interested in, you just need to put yourself forward. You need to take that step. So I think that might help with the disillusionment as well, a small bit, but I'll pass it off to you now, Teresa. Sorry. Um, well, I suppose how I started was I got involved in loads of like small initiatives and I was growing up like different fundraisers and different things in the community. And then properly, I didn't get involved in like well activism advocate area until I started college. So I studied international development and food policy. So kind of once I started college, I just threw myself into everything from one campaign climate ambassador, um, the International Development Society in UCC. And then I um, got really involved with the Food System Summit, um, kind of, that was kind of over the whole of COVID. So I kind of did most of that all across um, Zoom and things. And then I applied for the Youth Delegate Programme. So mine's kind of just been like a slow progression of just putting in for things, seeing what I enjoy. And then um, 
Yeah, but I think again, back to that, when people don't have an interest in the SDGs, I often think it's because they don't really know about them. Like one of them are going to affect you and you're going to find an interest in one of them. If it's to do with sport, it'll be nutrition of some sort or the likes of climate change will affect your sport depending on the type of sport you play. Um, so I often think it's kind of education as well, as well as empathy and all the rest of them. But it's also, you kind of have to learn about them to figure out which one suits you. And you don't have to be completely passionate about every single one of them. None of us are. You can't possibly be um, across all 17 of them. But um, it's just to be aware of which one probably affects you the most, I think is really important. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think as well, in terms of feeling like feeling disillusioned and not knowing what to do, I think like knowing that whatever kind of capacity, like you were saying, young people are so busy, like whatever time you have is valued, whatever skills you have, like you don't have to join a political party at all like if you like writing write if you like like he he was talking about that photographer and how important that role is but it's completely different to being like a t-shock or something um and also like one of the most valuable things you can contribute is like just your perspective like you're bringing your way of seeing the world into the conversation again like Eve was saying um and like that doesn't require very much from you it just requires you um do you have any other questions we do (laughs) (laughs) that was actually really cool and i think what you guys are saying there just as i wait for my google doc to load a little bit um if you challenge or address one sdg you end up addressing them all yeah because you guys always talk about intersectionality that's the nicest thing about the sdgs they all intersect so from um a question from sally um as a group what has supported you to work through these complex ideas? Is it the Sustainable Sleepover Club space? Um, what part has youth work and the YMCA played and isn't with the YMCA? So it's not a YMCA plug. <laughs> but yeah. Okay, so I'm not going to answer first again. <laughs> I don't want to do that. I feel like I'm talking so much. Are you she? <laughs> I will answer, but not. Let's put you on the spot or anything. I'll go second if someone else goes first. Carol. Go wild. <laughs> Can you repeat the question? Okay, I'll leave it up. A hundred percent the space we created. I think so. Like we're all friends, you know what I mean? We joined Corla. Well, most of us are in the same Corla. We joined Corla in 2019, the start of 2020. So our Corla was online. We did meetings every week and we didn't really do much besides talk <laughs> and get to know other. each other. It was the most like beneficial space yeah. I've ever been part of. Like it truly was like getting that like, for the first time I felt like people understood me 100 percent you know what I mean like I mean that sounds so dramatic and obviously like I have friends but like, <laughs> but, like Just the things I'm passionate about like you guys are passionate about like that's so valuable to find that shared common passion and then the space we created with sleepover club like being a fun like interactive space we didn't want to make it like stuffy and scientific we wanted to make it accessible and I think we created that and I think that does keep us going well me like we we stay on for hours talking hours like (laughs) hours hours. midnight I need to go to bed like (laughs) but like we're just so invested in like the things we do and like we end up having fun while doing that like that's definitely important so take it away guys no your turn (laughs) (laughs) When I first like got into the Sustainable Sleepover Club, I did not like talking. 
Wait, that didn't change. <laughs> 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 okay, she liked it? laughing. <laughs> we have ensured that Ayush, she does not like talking. <laughs> That's what I'm getting from her. She does talk. Like. <laughs> I talk sometimes. Drink water. Drink <laughs> okay. water. When I joined, I didn't love talking. And Sorry. <laughs> I like the social time. <laughs> <laughs> we started doing BuzzFeed quizzes, guys. That's the secret. Okay, that's the key. The ingredients, BuzzFeed quizzes. Like, we did them religiously. <laughs> I love the people around me and, like, how passionate they were. And I guess eventually it kind of rubbed off on me. And I, I, I was always passionate about it to an extent. But just being surrounded by people who had the same interests really helped me sort of grow and develop and learn and educate myself on that so so true <laughs> everything i say always sounds like so stupid in comparison to everyone's <laughs> no you're like yeah. you always say like yeah. good points i mean personally i came from the same area as eve we were both on the machine council we joined corla <laughs> and then we spent so much time talking to everyone that we kind of all got really close and I ended up doing this podcast, not actually being aware that it was part of the YMCA. Um, <laughs> so I was just showing up, but I thought like I came into it being super ignorant about everything, and mm. especially the SDGs, they were always like super alien to me. And kind of like living in Ireland, I was I felt very well, I definitely was very sheltered in regards to the SDGs. I wasn't aware that they were even an issue, and like back in 2015 or. I don't know, 2016 maybe, when like the whole climate action kind of thing really picked up pace with Greta Thunberg, kind of bring it to light. That kind of opened my eyes a small bit, but before that was always a joke to me. Like I sense really ignorant, I was really ignorant, but like, you know, the whole like save the turtles kind of thing was always a joke before that. And then when I came into the space and started, you know, becoming educated in it, I was able to see the SDGs around me. And sounds really tacky but like but like <laughs> i kind of like through education like yeah. especially learning off people around me i got to really become aware of space like that and that really enabled me to yeah. become aware of my surroundings and how they are so important and interdependent in one another and okay i'm going on a tangent but yeah anyways yeah. but <laughs> I, no i think i mean chasna brought it up a minute ago we didn't really address that education like yeah. how important is education yeah. do you know what i mean like we always you suck but we haven't brought it up recently i feel like but education is so important and like how much can we learn from talking to each other like cal said like i didn't know what the sgs were they're a poster in my csb classroom you know what i mean like i didn't know what that was like but coming here and like talking to people and getting workshops and and meeting everyone like that's why i began learning and education yeah. is such a valuable role in that and we're so lucky to be in a place where we have that but still it's not like yeah. as highlighted as i think it should be yeah i was just gonna say i've definitely learned something tonight anyway which is that carol had no idea what he was doing on friday evening <laughs> when he joined i was just here for drive <laughs> <laughs> but yeah honestly like what eve was saying that is so true you know you can't you can't have change without education you know and it's about i suppose you could say um like the ambassador stuff it's sustainable peace and i suppose i think there's a thing like sustainable change as well you know um yes. even like to take an example i remember this is how it was explained to me when i was a kid but like that if you if you went into a village and you dug a well a well um <laughs> and then you didn't tell the villagers anything about maintaining the well or how to use the well that's no good you've gone or like if you went into the village you just gave them water you know you've made a change but it's not sustainable it's not going to last 
Whereas if you go into a village and you dig a well and you show the villagers how to repair the well and how to use the well, you know, then that's sustainable change. That change is going to make a difference. And that's education. That's the benefit of educating people. You teach know? a man to fish. Like, don't give him oh, fish. Yeah, teach him yeah. how to fish. And that's the, like the... Mm, that sounds exactly. like a fancier version of that phrase. Yeah. <laughs> it's like building a well. <laughs> teach people how to maintain a well. <laughs> I think as well, like... Um, Definitely, I didn't, I, I would like say this a hundred times, but I didn't know what climate justice was. Mm. I knew what climate change was. And again, it was more about like animals and polar bears, but like I, climate justice is really about people and how climate change affects people, but is also caused by people um, and kind of intersectionality and it brings in so much. Um, and I still don't fully know what climate justice means because <laughs> what it means to you is constantly changing. Um, but I didn't know what it meant before like talking to all six of you. Um, and like, I think what's really nice is, it's actually really nice that we didn't know that this was like, YMCA um, <laughs> beforehand because we weren't going into a space to learn about something we created the space we created our own table rather than being seated at the table and I think in that way we were able to create what we needed we we kind of like had the education we needed we were able to have these conversations about something like the sustainable development goals that are a very like set framework but within our own like conversations and our own friends and we were kind of in social time like afterwards as Eve was saying like at 12 o'clock talking about these things anyway and I think like it was just the space like to come back to the question um was so important it was so important yeah. and to like I'm in lots of groups now but I think it just comes back to being having that space to talk about these things mm. yeah I think definitely like you know I suppose our relationship with each other and the way that we all like get on you know um has definitely cultivated the space of the podcast but I think it was like absolutely facilitated by the YMCA do you yeah. know what I mean you know we wouldn't have gotten this opportunity without the YMCA you know um you know and I think it's important to highlight that I know it came yeah. up in the question <laughs> I mentioned it. no but like you know? even like I mean it wasn't our idea we did a, a like a I don't know what you call it an exercise where we like make glasses and like wrote our inspirations and like who affected us yeah. on them like that sounds so cheesy but it was so good it was like who influenced your perspective on life do you know what I mean and like that was such like a good exercise just to like get that ball rolling and that was obviously not our idea so yeah I think that was a really good question to kind of like round up just talk about sustainable sleepover club again um so does anyone have any final points before we go oh my god I usually stay hydrated because I am very thirsty right now I did not do a lot of talking but I'm still very thirsty don't know about you guys so yeah. wear sunscreen huh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> research squirrels <laughs> but like okay an actual serious one just done? like be open be open be accepting be willing to learn be willing to hear be willing to understand and talk to people get to know people and yeah change follows always okay. yeah. yeah i'm gonna like double on what eve said about getting to know people and talk to people and maybe like you know pushing yourself a little bit outside your comfort zone you know because I know myself like this podcast if you told me again oh, if goodness. you told me like three years ago I would be doing this I'd have been like no like I wouldn't you know um, and I suppose it was a decision that you know like a very small decision I made that led to me leading all of you guys which led to me being here tonight you know but it's had a massive influence in my life so I think mm. that's the thing you know you never know where things are going to take you in life you yeah, know yeah. Um, so like seize opportunity when you can yeah, yeah. 
I would always say like, I'm not a joiner. I'm not a joiner. I didn't even know what I was joining when I joined the podcast. And it's like <laughs> being the biggest like influence on my life. And it's like one of the highest of my week by far. Like, and it's, it's, it's changed my life anyways. Definitely. So. And I think I would agree with everything that's been said so far. And my final message is a quote and it's East quote. Um, <laughs> and it's listen to understand, not to respond. And also like lean into the revolutionary love, lean into your emotions, lean into, um, like really caring for the people around you like all of you sitting around me today like but don't be like um, we're kind of taught to be embarrassed by that but like Mm -hmm. be proud of it and like let that fuel everything you're doing and another quote from good old Eve Lonergan (laughs) (laughs) is be voice not an echo (laughs) that was even me that was me that was my voice not an echo like I think you said it more than him though I did I love that quote but like it's true be (laughs) a voice not an echo (laughs) yeah 30 years Mark will like be suing you'll have like a range of merch so Mark will be coming for you Eve (laughs) I know I'm gonna like cut like what's it called like copyright his phrase and just like make yeah. t-shirts with it like <laughs> be a voice not an echo what is your final messages from the UN youth delegates so I wasn't aware that I needed a quote we use a lot of quotes thanks for that guys that's great <laughs> make your own quote make my own quote oh the pressure yeah. um, so you feel I suppose just thank you for having me here anyway it was amazing to talk to you guys and you definitely have given me hope for the future <laughs> because <laughs> even coming in in the car it was like there's a new strain of covid and i was like oh, oh god god so yeah there's a lot of doom and gloom in the world but you're bringing light not to be cheesy about it but you really are and i'm really glad that you have this space to learn and grow into the wonderful people that you are Aww. she's so sweet and <laughs> <laughs> um, that was such a nice one, Deandra. I um, know, right? I'm so proud. I also want to say thank you so much. And I suppose, again, being open, listening to the podcast like this, you don't have to literally read a book to educate yourself. Things like this, there's different formats. But I always remember when I was starting out in um, kind of this activism advocate space and someone turned around and said, the worst someone can ever say is no. So just ask the questions, get involved. The worst someone can say is no. And you can just turn around and start again. And so I think that would be my one is just take opportunities and just try things. Thank you so much to everyone for your final messages. And if you listen listen to the podcast before, you'll know that I don't close the episode. <laughs> Gabby does. Fish and quail, Gabby. I'm just going to come in. I'm going to do what Amy said about leaning to my emotional side before we go and say that I'm very, very grateful to have you all in my life. Oh, and I'm very grateful to everyone who's listened to this episode and who may listen to it in the future. And we will do the countdown. So, um... This is Ask Grilga if you want to join in. It's just oh, fabulous. <laughs> yeah. uh, Didn't okay. know that was happening either. <laughs> that was great. Okay, Slan. Ahim, Ado, three. Slan! We hope you enjoyed our podcast. Also, you can read the entire transcript of every episode in the link to our Google Drive, which you can find on our Instagram. Once again, Online youth information chat is live from 4pm to 8pm, Monday to Friday at ymca-ireland.net slash question or find YMCA at YI Young Voices. Every second Thursday we will release a new episode, but for now, Slán!